Hello? Welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. Welcome to the first intro recorded in a bedroom of my house. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been quite the week once again. Um, but I've got a great uplifting uh, episode for you. Um, yeah, I, this week I am joined by... Kirsty Thompson, who is the founder and CEO of The Circle, um, which is an amazing space uh, based just off the Kingsway in Dundee, uh, all about um, bringing in socially minded uh, businesses. So there can be, I mean, I think she talks about in the episode from a wrestling group to Scottish Slimmers to some small uh, one or two person companies to larger more corporate companies but all of them with a sort of focus on giving back and this sort of social responsibility um, we recorded this a few weeks ago when it was still okay to, to be face to face with people um, and we, I mean this is actually quite a well-timed episode, just coincidentally, because we talk a lot about the uh, the concept of value uh, relative to creativity and creative skills, um, and that uh, it's all about valuing yourself. Because if you don't value yourself and your skills, then no one else will. Um, and I think it, it, there's an amazing sort of core of the episode that's around that, that concept of value, which is now more important than ever it's a bit um obviously the situation we find ourselves in there's a lot of people um who have a bit of time to sort of reconsider what that is for them there's a lot of people finding this difficult and having to sort of um, pivot and change what they do or find new income streams or find new jobs or um yeah it's not easy and i think i mean i chatted to various people um over the past couple of weeks, I suppose, and there's maybe two mindsets. There's some people who are really up for making things happen and doing it and um, putting new stuff out there and, and seeing what, what they can do to sort of motivate people and keep them entertained and excited. Um, and then there's a second uh, sort of group of people who maybe feel frustrated or lost or just don't have that, that desire to be creative at the moment. And I mean, either one of those is absolutely fine. It's It's kind of finding out what's what's right for you and having that ability to, to sort of survive and keep going forward because I think if anything it, 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 this time sort of brings it back to right right back to what you, the, the sort of basic needs of everyone is um, and I mean all that I hope is that we can sort of use this time to reflect in some way and then sort of build things up for the better going forward um, but yeah, and I think this this episode actually has some some quite nice commonalities in that respect, um, as well with, the, with what me and Kirsty talk about. I mean, again, just purely coincidentally. Um, but before we get into the episode, I've got something exciting to talk about. So this will be starting. Um, this is an exclusive, I think. Actually, this will be starting on the sixth of April, which is a Monday, Monday the sixth of April. Um, we are bringing back. The design game show. Um, so we, Agency of None, working with the UNESCO City of Design, um, and Andy Bullock and Chris O'Mara and Stacey Hunter, we're all sort of getting together to, to produce a digital version of the design game show that you can play along with at home from Instagram stories. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be silly. It's going to be funny. Um, it's going to hopefully keep you entertained for the next few weeks yeah so go and check that out the best way to find out all the details is follow 
at Design Dundee and more information will be coming out this week um, on their Instagram and then starting next week uh, oh, the fun and excitement begins uh, yeah it's going to be a lot of fun go and get involved yeah I'll maybe give you some chat about the, the sort of plans for the podcast going forward um, at the end but apart from that let's get into the episode so this is this is episode number 94 and this is Kirsty Thompson best place to start is about nine years ago um, when I moved back to Dundee after living in Newcastle for eight years at that time um, moved back because it was the end of my research contract I was working at Newcastle University decided that things in academia didn't really fit very well with me um, it was quite hi- hierarchical in terms of um, getting credit for publications and things there was a bit of difficulty that I was having during that time and I decided I didn't really think that was where I wanted to be for the rest of my career so I moved back to Dundee in 2011 and it was the height of the recession which was a pretty tricky time for um, everyone really and I think especially when you have been in a paid job for the whole of your life never had to sign on and suddenly I find myself in the job centre and it was a pretty difficult start um, for me being back in Scotland and thinking right what next so at that time I went in to sign on and when my job coach said had I ever thought about setting up my own business kind of laughed her out the door (laughs) not no not a chance um what could I do and then went away and went from job application to job application getting turned down for being overqualified underqualified without a PhD and so it went on so eventually I went back to her and said you know what I'm actually ready to explore what that would look like to set up a business and then that's when along came Kirsty as it was known then was born and spoke to a number of my previous employers who were worked in charity, social enterprise and um, academia and talked to them about the kind of services that they would be looking for. So created the consultancy around that, did a bit of market research and landed my first um, job with a client in Dundee called Pamis. So that's when it really kicked off for me. Um, That was a three day a week contract and yeah, I don't think I've really looked back from then. And from that, it's basically evolved into what I now do. So, yeah, that was where it all began. Because obviously that's quite a big, scary first step to take. Mm-hmm. But then getting a client of that size, I suppose, and the sort of regularity of that work mm-hmm. must have helped. Yeah, it did. And I think I was completely naive to things like pricing my services. As a service-based business, it's something that you don't really go into and realise what you can be charging at the time, obviously, I needed to build my reputation in a particular area as well. So there were things that I was doing pro bono and that seemed to be my favourite word for a while. Uh, everybody wanting things for free. So, yeah, um, I learned a lot of lessons during that time. And I think I was very keen to do it, but also quite nervous because I'd been in paid employment up until that point. I was 33 thinking what what am I doing here what what next and it is brave but equally I think I was in a position where there was wasn't really much else on the horizon and it was a ba- basically a case of do I continue signing on and be in this situation for a number of more months or do I just take the plunge and see what I can do so yeah so at that point what 
what sort of stuff were you offering to potential clients? Um, we were, well, we, I say we, but it was actually me. I was working with them around fundraising plans. I'd done quite a bit of work in universities around research and grants. So that was really my skill set was writing grants. So I did a huge amount of work on that for clients and they paid me to come in and work with them to develop grants to local and national funders. So that helped them in terms of their sustainability and it also paid me, um, obviously, in terms of contracts and things. So it was quite useful. But again, that was that was challenging as well. And I'm sure it's the same in the creative industries when people want things up front for free or they want wait to wait until the grant comes in and then I'll give you a percentage of it. And actually, I think it was a lot of lessons learned for me in that time. And a lot of people that when the money did come in, it was a case of they wouldn't necessarily pay up. So, yeah, it's tricky. It's also, as you say, at that point, um, you didn't have a reliable, steady income that you'd been used to. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we've sort of chatted this to a few people um, on the podcast before, but kind of about um, the things that you take on when you're looking for work or mm-hmm. whether you're not when you're not financially stable mm-hmm. um, and it can really change how you operate your practice and how you go about things mm-hmm. um, and it, it, generally it has a kind of negative impact or you'll do work for less or you do things that maybe aren't quite right mm-hmm. but and it's that it, it puts you in that sort of a bit of a tricky situation mm-hmm. I suppose um, and it, it's trying to pull yourself out the, the other side mm-hmm. um, absolutely and I think Having a client like Pamis who paid on time, who was reliable income, was fantastic. But alongside that, I had other smaller contracts. And it's exactly what you were saying. I was going into contracts with people saying, yeah, I'll do this at a reduced cost. And then that would turn into phone calls at 12 o'clock at night, demands for X, Y and Z. And then you start to question, what am I doing this for? Because actually I'm trying to give a service back that's going to help people in the long run to sustain their organisation. But actually that's quite, excuse me, quite detrimental to me. And answering emails at midnight from clients who are paying you really very close to the living wage is not entirely what you want to be doing when you set up your own business. So, yeah, uh, it's that was tricky. Yeah, and I think there's that temptation to to want to work all hours to get new clients and mm-hmm. to, to get the work done, to get the money in the bank type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas that then leads to a vicious cycle of your like personal health is is, is detrimental to that, mm-hmm. um, which you, you don't necessarily realise at the time. You just think, oh, we need to get more done, more done, Absolutely. more done. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so how did that... So d- sort of over the journey of Along Came Kirsty, how did that, the, the work that you were doing and mm-hmm. the clients that you got in and that, that sort of practice that you're talking about, how mm-hmm. did that change and develop over time? I suppose I was working with small, medium-sized, large charities across Scotland at the time and there was some pretty clear issues around they needed space to collaborate, they needed space where they could afford to pay month to month their rent, they needed to know these were fixed overheads, they needed to know that it wasn't going to be a curveball in for their gas or electricity and things that could really put these often start-up organisations into a really difficult financial position and it's not the kind of thing you can get funding for. Same with Creative Scotland, it's not the kind of thing you could get your rent paid or your, your bills paid. So for me there was a huge gap there for charities and social enterprises in the city 
Um, and I, I just thought we need to create a space where that actually is fixed and people do know month to month what they're paying out. It gives them peace of mind, but also it allows their organisation to do what it's there to do. So um, I think that was really important. So I went on that journey really about four years into what then was ACK and started to explore venues in Dundee and the Circle was in Staffa Place, was a building that was lying um, derelict after being occupied by a charity for 18 years. They'd went into liquidation. They had a single income stream into that organisation and basically they couldn't withstand when that government contract was withdrawn. They couldn't keep the doors open. So, so I suppose... I saw the space, I saw the potential in that space. I had learnt from obviously hearing their story about the single income stream and when that gets cut, then basically you don't have a business, regardless of what sector you work in. And I think um, I saw an opportunity there and I th- my brain really went into overdrive thinking this could be a physical space for tenants, it could be for events, for the community, I wanted to do so much more, but the consultancy was quite limiting in terms of what I could deliver. So I suppose that opened up more opportunities to really make a difference. And how so how long ago was that, you said? So um, just over three years ago, we launched The Circle. Okay. So um, eight years ago was when ACK started. So yeah, it's been running now for just um, three and a bit years. And so I'm kind of interested how you approach that problem because you obviously had a you had a goal in mind, mm-hmm. um, which was to, to get the space up and running. But how do you start? How do you start to solve that problem? What do you need to to actually do logistically, physically, mm-hmm. like speaking to people, whatever, um, to to start to get that get moving towards mm-hmm. that goal? I think again, it's back to similar thing that I did in ACK which was use my research head and say right what is the need what is the not what I think it is let's actually start talking to people in the sector what kind of issues are they having what issues around uh, renting space there every single time I had a meeting with a client something came up is there a fund that will pay my gas and electric you know it was kind of standard that this would happen so I was aware of that and I'd worked with hundreds of clients at that point so it it was a common problem so I was going back to basics things like doing a survey online actually getting out and talking to people saying what is it if we were to have a space what would you need from it Mm -hmm. and really just inviting people into that space and then allowing them the opportunity to think about what they could do within it and I think bringing people together in that way is helpful because we're not saying it's just a fixed use. You can come in and have your own idea what you want this to be. So then you attract like-minded people and as you attract more like-minded people, you start to create a real community. So that we had filled the building after two years of being open. Um, that was at 100% occupancy and we're back to that point now. But... And the whole journey to get there was really tricky because that was a two-year negotiation with a commercial landlord. And my social objectives, the social entrepreneur in me facing a commercial landlord was quite a different conversation, as you can imagine. And I can see it from both points. However, I think for me, I we, we need to be looking at how do we give people the best start if we don't offer them the space to get started and 
give them an opportunity to grow their organisations. And if you're being hit with horrendous rent and utility bills in the early days, not many people can find the funds to get through that. So, yeah, that was a really tricky time. So I'm kind of interested in that, the, the relationship you built with the landlord, because uh-huh. I think space is often an issue within the, the sort of creative field and, and I mean, suppose generally in Dundee. Uh-huh. Um, but it's kind of like how how do you bend the landlord's way of thinking to your vision? Mm-hmm. How do you get someone who is commercially focused to mm-hmm. understand an alternative use for that property um, or an alternative use for that space? I mean, I suppose a lot of the conversations I was having with the, lon- the landlord during that time was around, you know, these organisations <clears throat> will, will do you a favour. They're going to take over an empty building and it's actually going to, bring it back to use again and one of the big conversations was if if we don't continue with this this building is going to go into a really really poor state because we're going to be using it every day there's going to be as a result of us being there there's going to be work done to it so I think there are ways that we can benefit each other that isn't just financial and I think that was a conversation that as I say it was two years it wasn't an easy conversation and I just had to keep backing that up with evidence that when we get in there, we can pay you the bill. You know, we can pay you the rent. So, again, that I imagine from the commercial landlord's point of view, we were a start-up. Why would they take a risk on that? It's 30,000 square foot that we occupy. It's not insignificant. So they were thinking, well, how do we know that you're not going to start this up and not be able to pay for it? So we had a line of tenants there ready to go. And I think that did help, but it isn't easy. And I think property has been tricky from when I started out right through. It's, it's not an easy answer, but I do think if you start to pull people together under one roof, they could actually offer each other support, but also that fixed overhead, that knowing what you pay month to month is massive advantage to, I would say, anyone in business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, a lot of that that focus of the the community around it because mm-hmm. um, I mean there might be people listening who don't know where Staffa Place mm-hmm. is do you mm-hmm. want to explain a little bit of it? Yeah so um, Staffa Place is in the north end of Dundee um, it's in an area in Ardler and it's quite a high area of deprivation in the city and again that was something that people discussed with me to say why are you not city centre based we need something like this in the centre but the building itself is all on one floor um, from from the front door. We've also got downstairs, but both very accessible for people with disabilities. And that was something that was important to me because if we were fully inclusive, then we needed to make sure that that was both in terms of physical access and from the greeting that you get the front door. So that was important. And I think the, the area of the city is off of the Kingsway. Um, it's, it's a commute between, obviously, leaving Dundee, heading out to Perth and things, and then you're looking the other way down to Aberdeen. So often people will have a meeting in Dundee that they don't want the central location because parking's quite tricky. They've got to pay for that. So these are all things that we can offer that are a little bit different. And I think the major thing is that what we do is we put money back into support the community so there's no individuals who profit from what we do the money goes back into the enterprise itself and to create jobs and training and opportunities so yeah I think people 
the in the past few years I've seen a shift in people's behaviours in terms of the businesses that they want to buy from and the ethos and the values of the people that they want to work with and I think that's that's helped us attract customers into the circle. Because when you, you said that you had like a, a sort of list of people waiting to move into the mm-hmm. space, which really helped. I mean, what kind of, at that point, what kind of people are you, are you working with? And um, We had a number of startup social entrepreneurs. We had some national charities who were operating right across Scotland and um, England. We had a couple of sole traders who were interested in space that... Again, because it wasn't city centre, it was actually a bit more affordable. So it is, is, I think it was all of these areas and that's still the same people that we have today. However, today we have a wrestling group that's in there and we have a wrestling rink in one of the rooms. So there's absolutely no rhyme or reason to a lot of the, <laughs> the organisations that are under that roof other than their values, that they're there because they want to do something to give back. And I think that's across the board, whether it's commercial business or this community group that we've got in as well. So that's that's rather unusual when you're doing the tour. <laughs> Here's the wrestling rink. <laughs> but then I suppose it, it's bringing those people together that would never normally share a building mm-hmm. and there can be advantages I mean having worked in a co-working space mm-hmm. next to scientists and architects and or even just having sitting around the lunch table talking about random things that you mm-hmm. would never chat about I think there's real advantages to, to seeing a little window into other people's worlds yeah yeah definitely and I think when we have visitors and when they have visitors you they kind of get a feel for the building, they get a feel for the fact that it is different groups that are operating in there. And I think, again, back to the inclusion point, if we are truly trying to be inclusive, then we're going to be reaching out to commercial businesses and social enterprises, charities. It's not just one specific group. So, yeah, that helps. (laughs) And it's, I mean, as much as we've talked about the the setting up of the space and the Mm -hmm. building and preparing all that, I mean, the circle's more than... Let's just put people in a building. Yes. It's yeah. much more about that community aspect to mm-hmm. it and the development of, of everyone within there. Yeah, and I think that, <clears throat> obviously, like everything, if we'd said that community was going to form in the first year would be absolute nonsense because that's not how it's built. We had to fill the building. That was priority number one, so we can pay the bills. And then after that, it was a case of let's run some events, let's start to get people using the space in the way that they want to use it. So we opened it up for community events. We've had Dundee Soup in there a few times. We've um, had various funders in visiting, talking about programmes that they can access. We've got a mother and baby fitness class that runs in there. We've got our cafe now operating from that site for looked after and care experienced young people. So there's a lot going on under the roof, which by, I suppose, by having those things all happening, then people start to communicate and talk to each other. We'll have a, um, now I should remember the name, it's, it's Scottish Slimmers Group as well. It's not Scottish Slimmers, they'll kill me for it. Slimming World, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Stella and Fiona. Um, it's Slimming World that are based in there and there's about 400 people a week through the doors for that. So again... It's families, it's individuals, it's people from the local community that typically wouldn't access a a business centre, which is what a lot of people think that we're running, but it's so much more than that. And we also have, having gone through the merger last year, um, ACK joined the circle last year, so we've got the consultancy services under that roof. 
And um, in addition to that, we introduced the Circle Academy, which is a 12-week training programme for people interested in starting up businesses that are more than profit, is what we call it. So it's about making money, but it's about what you do with that money at the end of the day, things like paying the living wage, making sure that you're in contracts with people who you are actually comfortable are going to pay the bills and vice versa. Um, you're going to make sure that, obviously, people, when you do make money, what what's done with that is not just lining an individual's pocket. So we've been running that now. This is on to cohort number two. So we have a mixture of creative individuals, um, social entrepreneurs, charity leaders and commercial business people in that. So, again, a really good mix of conversation and it's run for 12 weeks. There's a two income generation tasks and the team have to report back to a board, a little bit like The Apprentice, um, over the course of the 12 weeks. And then the money that they've generated from those two income generation tasks goes into a pot at the end of it. And two of the entrepreneurs will walk away with the share of that as well. So it's really teaching skills around you can't just be grant dependent anymore. You've got to be looking at ways to generate an income but also get used to making your own income and charging and doing things that you will have to do when you're on a business. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's that's the newest programme that we've introduced. And, I mean, obviously you, you must have a lot of people coming to you with ideas and thoughts and, and wanting that, that desire to start up a business. Mm-hmm. But, what, like, in your opinion, what what makes a good, viable idea I mean, I think there's so many people that I've met with brilliant ideas. I just don't often know if they're the people to execute them. And a lot of the time it's having conversations with people who have themselves got a great idea because it's something that's affected them. But what I always say to them is, have you done your market research? And I don't mean standing there with a clipboard. (laughs) I mean actually going and talking to people. And actually, as I said before, it's the way that we've done things as well. So I'm not just saying it from not going through that myself. Go out, actually ask people what it is they want. If you're setting up an organisation that's going to impact people who have a family member with disabilities, what else is out there? Make sure we're not duplicating. It's getting difficult now to get funding so if there's duplication happening it's going to be far more c- competitive so yes go away and talk it through but as I say that to be honest I'm probably the worst person to talk to because every idea anybody comes to me I could see that in action I think oh yeah I can see you can do something with that but then I do rein it back and say well how would you go about it where's your market research who have you spoken to do you know what else exists that kind of thing and that's that's the starting point to me and so, I mean, we've talked a lot about the circle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, okay. The I'm kind of about this is a question that I asked quite a few people um, on the podcast sort of recently. Um, is so where does your expertise lie? Mm-hmm. I suppose that that's a really tricky question. Actually, um, I think I'm. Having the research background, I think it is there, um, but also it's in psychology, it's in people, it's in what makes humans tick, all the rest of it. So yeah, I, I, f- I find people fascinating. I find what we're trying to do as a society fascinating and how we can actually, because of government cuts, because of things that are affecting local authority, 
we, we're having to stand up with solutions to that. And I think for me, having worked with so many amazing social entrepreneurs over the past eight years and previous to that, it's it's that I think that's where my expertise is understanding what it is that makes gives someone that drive and gives someone that desire to make a difference. I think something around that, <laughs> maybe <laughs> waffle. <laughs> but there are also a, a kind of a, I get the impression there's also a compassion there as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I I, I care. I, otherwise, I wouldn't do this job. I think that's that's the bottom line. Absolutely, and very much I can empathise with people as they come through the door and they're the ones that haven't been able to take their wage that month, they're paying staff, they're not paying themselves, their salary sacrifice. And I think having been there, done it and got the T-shirt myself on all of these things, then, yeah, you can empathise and you can kind of say to people there is an end point to this and you kind of need to draw the line in the sand of when that's going to happen as well. And... For me, that changed when I went out to the States and took part in the Saltire Fellowship. I was out there for nine weeks and basically it was about working on your business rather than in it. And I had to really question some of the things that were happening in both the businesses at the time. And my lecturer, one of the lecturers on the programme in Boston said to me, what's in this for you? Because I was very much on the social and less on the enterprise and I think I was salary sacrificing doing all these things that I've just described burning out pretty much every few months and it was affecting my relationships it was affecting everything so having that opportunity to step out of it and say right this needs to change and this business regardless of who we're helping at the end of it if I can't support myself in it then it's not going to exist so that was the turning point, really. The merger happened, huge change in staff, and actually I started to earn a living from what I was doing, which was a pretty nice position. And I think what we all want to do when we create either creative businesses or social enterprises, it's what we're there to do. We're driven by that. And it can be can be difficult if you are worrying about where the next contract's coming from, where you're going to pay your bills and making sure you've got enough to pay your staff team. Yeah, yeah. and I think like having that ability to to gain that perspective from what you're doing, what you're running, mm-hmm. is, is invaluable. Mm-hmm. But it's not always like it is. It's very difficult to do. Mm. Um, obviously, taking that time away and going to the states and and going through that would be an mm-hmm. amazing experience. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of wondering if if you don't have that ability. T- to do that and yeah. take that time away have you got any advice on how you can sort of apply those things that you learned if you can't take that time off mm-hmm. and, and take that time away yeah and I've been I've been this again is part of the sort of more than profit approach it's about thinking about what it is that I mean being very honest with yourself what do you need to live on month to month and having those I think quite difficult conversations with friends and family and saying you know at what point do we say this isn't working or at what point do we say this is where we need it, need it to go? And I know I didn't really have that. I just kept thinking it's going to change, it's going to change. And I was still doing the same thing, so there was no way it was going to change. It was pro bono, everything for free. Just come and meet me and I'll have cups of tea with you for the next six weeks, but actually we'll never achieve anything because you're not paying me and I'm having a, I'm having a chat with you and this is my time. And I think it's valuing your own time. 
because the minute you start valuing your own time and your own expertise, then other people start to value that as well. And I think probably when you're in startup phase and you're trying to get your reputation out there, you do, as was as we discussed earlier, we're on opportunities and don't necessarily think about the longer term impact of that. So, yeah. And I suppose part of it is about that process is a journey, isn't it? And I think we need to appreciate that it's not going to happen overnight and that it's all like chalk it up to learning. If if I knew what I know now back then, I would do things differently. But at the same time, I wouldn't be where I am now. So it's 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 an, an area where I think we need to discuss more that this is what's at stake when we do set up organisations and businesses. It's not just our own um, income. It's your mental health, it's your physical health, it's your relationships. It's all these things that will will be stretched and you'll be challenged on. And I think there's probably not enough conversation happening about that. And people can support you and say, yeah, it's a brilliant idea, go for it. But if you don't have the skill set behind you to do it, then... It's it's going to be even trickier. <laughs> and have you got any sort of tips or mechanisms for that whole um, sort of self care aspects mm-hmm. of it? I mean, there's things like um, for me, I don't have email notifications on my phone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a re- sounds like a really simple thing, but for me, it, it kind of they don't ping up all the time. Yes. Therefore, yeah. you have to actively go to that yeah. app to open it, yeah. and that for me is an act of oh. Well, that's me going into work yes. type of thing. So that for me was a really good um, sort of barrier to yeah. stop me doing it at nine, ten o'clock yes, at night. absolutely. Um, and I think I probably, even over the past six months, I've got better at it. But it's it's been an ongoing battle with me to say, step away from that. Um, things like the email, I don't have notifications either. I have to log into the portal to access my emails on my phone. That's a conscious effort to do that. At lunch times, the staff team sit down for half an hour every day and have lunch together. And that's kind of a rule in the office that we need to do that, step away from the desk. And um, I think, again, exercise. I've I've got myself into an exercise routine. I've recently got myself a puppy. I walk quite regularly, so she walks me around um, Dundee. Things like that help. And I think, for me, I was so consumed by the business for so long that I couldn't really see what else was going on. And I think just having that healthy relationship with work and closing the door with work, regardless of whether it's your own business or not, I think you need to get to that point. Phone goes off at night. I check it in the morning. The social media pages are now administered by one of my team. So that helps as well, because then I think you're constantly on when it's social media as well. And that's not always easy when you're a sole trader. So it's about... I suppose putting some boundaries in place for yourself to say, right, beyond eight o'clock at night, I'm not checking anything on social media. I'm not going into my emails or whatever it is. You yeah, know, absolutely. And, and I think for me as well, it was that um, the, the productivity. Mm-hmm. So you keep going and keep going to yes. nine, ten o'clock at night. Yeah. But actually, it's taken me many years to realise that just go and sleep it off and then yes. come back to it in the morning yeah. and for me anyway, you become a lot more productive. Absolutely. And I think it affects the way that you do think. And again, psychology is what the area that I've come from. So I understand that the way that 
your brain is going to process things and if there's stressors on, in there and stuff as well, it's going to be far more difficult for you to make decisions that are actually the right decisions some of the time. And I think being able to to step away from it, finish early and not treat it like a nine to five because some days I'll work a 12-hour day and that maybe in the early days would have been the norm. Sometimes 14 hours would have been the norm every single day. It's about saying, if I do that 14 hour now, I'll not be working tomorrow. And that's okay, because it's actually yourself that becomes your own worst critic for that. It's no one else that's judging you in it. It's you that's kind of saying, but I need to be in the office and I need to do this. And it's not the case. No, and I think I can't remember where... Yeah, I don't. I don't have the reference for this, but it was mm-hmm. probably a podcast or, mm-hmm. or, a, or a book that I read or something. But it was talking about how how we deal with sleep mm-hmm. and getting that that seven eight hours a night, which varies depending on who you are, what you mm-hmm. need. Um, but sleep is literally your body repairing itself, so it's your brain repairing itself and yes. preparing it for the yeah. next day. Yeah. And if you don't do that, then it never repairs and it just keeps getting damaged over yes, and over again. Absolutely. And I think I'm one of these people that needs eight hours and that's something that I am grateful for that because I now know that that's if I don't have that that's maybe having a knock-on effect on the week and I think it's down to what you eat as well I think when Mm. you're in a situation where you are stressed you're reaching for the wrong types of foods you're going to be making yourself make unhealthy choices and I'm not saying that I don't eat unhealthily or drink or any of these things I do all of them but I think it's just about recognizing that you can't probably do all of that and still do your 12, 14 hours a day and expect to be okay at the end of that. And that's going to have an impact on you. So the next thing I want to talk about is kind of, um, I suppose we talked about this, the the circle teaching these skills, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. whether that's self-care, whether it's business skills. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sort of interested in how we start to disseminate more of those skills to the wider population. I mean, personally, in terms of design, I think design is a real powerful tool Mm -hmm. that can often be hidden behind organisations or institutions or fancy software or Mm -hmm. barriers to entry. Mm -hmm. Um, And because you're sort of making those skills very accessible Mm -hmm. and not necessarily design skills, but lots of different types of skills, Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. sort of interested in how, in, in your opinion, how we start to teach more people those skills and give more people access to those skills. I think... Actually, social enterprise is a good route because most people feel a bit more comfortable with that than commercial business. So I think from school, we could be getting in there to kind of do some social enterprise challenges, to get people used to income generation, to budget, to do all the things that you need to do to to plan for an event, whatever that is. I think there's things that we could be doing from a very early age. And I think... The problem is now that I left school, went to uni, did my degrees, went and ended up going job, job, job. There was never a thought in my mind I would be running a business and I've had to learn from doing it. And I think the only way we're going to teach these skills is from letting people get out and do it, fail, get over it, pick yourself up and get on to the next thing. And I think that's easier said than done for a lot of people. But I think there's a resilience there that, we can be teaching in schools and that attitude that, you know what, that was brave to give it a go. That was brave to go out there and try it. There's many people that wouldn't 
take that chance. And I think that's something that we touched on at the beginning of the chat is that a lot of people have said you're brave to have gone and done this. Well, it didn't feel brave at the time. It felt like that was the only option, really. But I think if you empower young people a bit more to say, you know, get out there and go and do a bake sale, but also go and run an event and do these things, this is getting them into the mentality of how much does that cost to make those cakes? How much does it cost to get... How many people do we need to sell these to in the day? You know, these kind of basic things could could be useful and I think they're applicable to all businesses. It depends on what you're offering. And again, I'll put it back to the service-based industries compared to product-based industries. I think it is a different pricing structure, but it's essentially the same thing that you're trying to do. And is volume of products or services that you're trying to get out the door. <laughs> yeah, and I think more and more those sort of those margins, those costs are mm-hmm. increasing as um the cost of I mean living mm-hmm. in exactly. yourself and yeah. potentially employing people and all the costs that come along with that. It's it is very difficult to find that balance and mm-hmm. find those profit margins mm-hmm. where they exist and yeah. accepting that they don't if they don't exist. Yes, exactly. And I think for me, part of the the conversation as well has to be around that we can't expect, and I see it in the creative industries as much as I see it with social enterprise, we can't expect people to work for nothing. And I think mm. there's a bit of education that needs to be done there to say, if you're a photographer that's been running a business for a number of years, doesn't mean you're going to come to an event and take things for free. You know, there's a huge conversation there about charging and their time and the value that the expertise that they bring we're I think as a society we're not very good with the creative industries and social entrepreneurs saying actually you deserve to be paid for that and I think that's a conversation that we should be having a bit more of because I I see far too often some amazing individuals just not getting the right results out of it and I think they end up being the ones who end up having to give up their profession because they can't afford to make a living out of it but I believe that society's fault because we're not valuing these individuals enough and for me when I used to say to people I worked in charity or social enterprise they would say do you do that on a voluntary basis so I think there's a huge piece around educating what that means to run a business or uh, an organisation, whether it's charity, social enterprise, creative industry, and valuing that, but I don't know how we do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think the um, that that concept of, of the value of those skills, mm-hmm. um, so actually we've already publicly talked about it, but that, mm-hmm. so that the value of, of design in particular mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is what we're going to look at as the theme for the 2021 Dundee Design Festival. Brilliant. Um, because it has many different facets, but exactly mm-hmm. as you say, there are a lot of creative professionals who either aren't charging what they should be mm-hmm. for their work, mm-hmm. or they can't charge what they should be because they, they aren't valued. Mm-hmm. Um, and those skills and those abilities just aren't, aren't valued in mm-hmm. the way that they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, again, I'm going to quote a source that I can't remember what mm-hmm. it was. I think it was Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a... It's basically a tweet about they were looking for a musician to come and play this new bar that had opened, uh, play some of their new material uh, to get exposure. And if they liked it, then they would maybe invite them back Mm -hmm. um, and pay them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then someone tweeted back and said, um, 
a note to your chef um <laughs> i've just bought a new house i'd mm-hmm. like you to come round and cook for me and try out some of your new menu and if i like it i might ask you back <laughs> and it sort of it was a really nice i probably butchered and misquoted it but yeah, yeah. it was that sort of idea that okay one industry so the musicians yes yeah. um has a very different value to that of the chef who's yeah. working and is expected to be paid for mm-hmm. the skills that they have and it's like we have this as you say in society this sort of disconnect between yes, what is absolutely. what people value and what people see of value yeah yeah okay so I think that is I think that's down to education. And I think in terms of careers as well, the creative industries, social enterprise, charity, is that discussed in school? Is that an option for people to pursue careers as musicians, photographers, social entrepreneurs? Is that even on the curriculum to even have those conversations, you know? And I think we need to change it because we need people who are leading the field in these areas to actually be making money from it as well and they should not be ashamed to say that exactly I think that's yeah, something yeah, that, sure. yeah. Um, I'm going to bring out another classic of mm-hmm. the podcast questions okay um, <laughs> I think it's quite relevant to, to what we've been talking about mm-hmm. um, so what to you mm-hmm. what is success <laughs> hmm to me success is having um a good a good life for me and also the people that i employ the people that the clients that i work with it's it's about i think and it's really cheesy to say it but i think it's about making a difference to people's lives i think it's that is what success is to me it's not just getting up in the morning and dreading that you've got to go into work i don't feel like that any at any time I go in, I love my work, I love the team that I've got. Um, There are challenges every single day in the job that I do, but success for me is that I want to get in there, I want to make a difference, and that's, yeah, it's kind of, as I say, a bit cheesy. (laughs) That's right, cheesy's fine. (laughs) Too bit cheesy. Um, and just before we finish up, um, is there anything that you've been listening to, watching, reading recently that you would recommend? Um, I've been reading um, a lot of Brené Brown's stuff, Daring Greatly, and um, she's actually a shame researcher, um, oddly. And her research is based on the fact that people will not step out of their comfort zones because they're worried about being shamed and they're worried about the attitude of other people around them and it's about sort of overcoming some of that fear and stepping out and saying, right, I'm here, I'm willing to put myself out there. And, yeah, lots of case studies and things that she goes through and just, it's it's really interesting and I find that we, I think, in Scotland are quite good at when people put themselves forward to kind of judge and say who do they think they are and all the rest of it and it's massive in this book it's around like you kind of have to do that to really make that difference and to I think it's um, Daring Greatly is what it's called so yeah yeah, it's worth a read <laughs> and so if if anyone wants to get involved with the circle mm-hmm, um, yeah. what, are the, what are the different ways that you can do um, we have quite a lot of events, so people can come in and take part in community events and um, activities. They can also volunteer. They can 
come in and just have a tour and get to see what the space is like and just get to know a bit more. I think from the outside and probably even reading the website and things, it's very tricky to put over the work that we do until actually people come into the physical space and see it. So just get in touch with us and ask for a tour. That's it. And so where do they find you online? So we're on the circle dundee.org.uk and we've got Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Instagram seems to consist of a lot of pictures of my puppy at the moment, Odie, so <laughs> that keeps everybody interested. <laughs> That's great, thanks very much. Okay, thank you. So thank you to Kirsty for coming and doing uh, the episode and hopefully um, that resonates in some sort of way and based upon the, the sort of situation that we all sort of find ourselves in but hopefully um, yeah you can find something to keep you going through um, what might be a, a quite a sustained period of, of social isolation and I think the one thing I mean the big thing that it makes me realise is how much as humans we rely on that interaction um, whether that's just a few messages on whatsapp or whether it's going to the pub for a pint it's like um our lives revolve around that so heavily but i didn't really realize that before but um yeah definitely this inability to meet up with people is sort of really driven home how much um even with all these technologies that we we are very social um yeah i suppose in in that respect as well going forward for the podcast um so I'm, as much as possible, I'm going to continue to, to put the episodes out um, when I can. I'm sort of currently pulling together this next um, group of recordings to go out. Um, I've got one episode that's pre-recorded that's ready to go, and then I'm going to try and do them via the magic of the internet. Um, so that may go well. Hopefully it does. You never know. Um, I've no idea what the sound quality is going to be like, but hopefully it's listenable. Um but yeah, you'll find out in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, next week I'm joined by Paul Galt, who's the head of digital interaction design um, at DJ CAD and Dundee, and has done some fun um, random music uh, and community-based projects as well. So I'll have him on next week. Um, but yeah, until then, uh, give us a follow. It's at CC Dundee. <laughs> It's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram. And if people still use Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. But to be honest, I'm seriously considering just getting rid of the Facebook page because the reach on it is terrible. And yeah, it would just save me a bit of work. So maybe that's it. Maybe this is the time to call Facebook. Anyway, I'll leave my inner ramblings to myself. But yes, I will speak to you next week. Bye.